Listener supported. WNYC Studios. His entire world view shifts. The ground under his feet opens up and he is no longer standing in the same place that he has been standing for his whole life. From WQXR and the Metropolitan Opera, this is Aria Code. I'm Rhiannon Gibbons. His emotion goes plummeting from being way at this ecstatic moment. He's in the depths of despair. Every episode, we go behind the scenes of a single aria. Today, it's the composer's aria from Ariadne Auf Naxos by Richard Strauss. There's so many rules. And the great thing about drag, you break them all. Transformation is at the heart of any opera performance, not just because the singers are all playing their roles, but also because music itself has the power to inspire and change us. And today's episode is all about transformation, about the things that allow us to be different versions of ourselves. Well, no opera captures this better than Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss. Today, we're going to focus on the prologue, and it's basically all backstage intrigue and shenanigans. The opera opens inside the house of Vienna's richest man. He's hosting an evening of entertainment at his private home theater, and two troops of performers are getting ready backstage. A fun-loving vaudeville group, and a group of opera singers who take themselves very, very seriously. But you haven't seen Sirius until you've met the composer. This young man is a thousand percent devoted to what he considers the sacred art of music. And he'll be premiering his brand new opera tonight. But then, minutes before the curtain goes up, he's told that there's not enough time for these two separate music acts. And his very serious opera will have to share the stage with that silly vaudeville troupe at the same time. Now, it's pandemonium, as you can guess, and the composer is furious. But then, in the midst of all the chaos, he falls hard for one of the vaudeville performers, Serbinetta. We hear how this sudden bolt of romance transforms him in the aria Sein wir wieder gut, which basically means, it's all good. One important thing about the composer is he's what opera folks call a trouser role, a woman singer playing the part of a young man. So she wears pants or trousers to transform herself. Well, here's the woman wearing the pants today. Mezzo-soprano Joyce DiDonato, who performed the composer at the Met in 2011. I love him, and I understand him, his ardor, his passion, his total commitment and belief in what he lives through the page, through the music, and that transformation that happens. Next up, a guest who knows firsthand about the power of transformation, Mo Fisher, or Moby Dick, drag king and historian. I really think everyone should cross-dress at some point in their life. Because allowing this whole breaking down and destroying the binary is so much fun. 
And finally, Paul Thomason, a music writer and Strauss fanatic. He's really sort of the great humanist as far as composers go. He's never preaching to us. What he does is present the human condition totally, no holds barred, and he leaves it up to us. All right, let's go find out what Strauss has in store for us in the composer's aria from Ariadne auf Naxos. The Commedia dell'arte players were stock characters in the Italian theater. Commedia dell'arte troops traveled throughout Europe and they brought their wit, their comedy, their gender bending and inspired opera to begin in France and Germany. The young composer in Strauss's opera is one of the really extraordinary young pants roles in all of opera. It's an entire world of discovery. There's this thrill of watching that journey and that jump from adolescence or boyhood into manhood. And that's usually the trajectory of these pants rolls. Breeches and trousers rolls were titillating firstly because they showed a woman's figure. In women's attire, her breasts were always showing because that was the fashion. You could see cleavage, yet we didn't know what their shapes and forms below the belt because the dresses were so large and hoop skirts and whatever. So with the breeches rolls, they were wearing waistcoats and ascots and then these tight-fitting pants showed the woman's figure and became very provocative for the largely male audience and became wildly popular because of that. But then it allowed women economic empowerment, permission to explore a variety of characters, and most importantly, permission to have full range of human expression. The composer was originally slated to be created by a very famous soprano, but she didn't show up for the first two rehearsals. She was ill. And Vienna had this new soprano named Lottie Lehmann. And Strauss was totally smitten by what she did, and he decreed she will create the role. And she became an overnight sensation. And ever since, the role of the composer has attracted some of the most remarkable singing actresses. It's such a passionate role. It's young, it's meant to be a character that is right on the midst of manhood, but has spent his whole time with his head buried in his scores and his world of music without ever having lived it. So the voice quality has to have a youthfulness and a naivete to it. So it's that in-between time in a teenage boy's life that's captured in the voice, which can be rich, but also obviously female. I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family. I have six brothers and three sisters. And so it was very male-dominated. And my father always had this air of authority and confidence when he walked. I was just enamored by it. I thought, oh, I want that when I grow up. I want to have that walk and that presence. And 
I didn't know how to do that as a woman because I was so angry. I was so like, God damn it. Look at what women have to go through. We don't have agency over our own lives. I mean, it's infuriating. The opera is set in the house of the wealthiest man in Vienna. Everybody's running around right and left. Total chaos. They're all frantic and they're, they're getting ready to go on stage. We meet the composer, who is a young teenager. He's something of a nerd, actually, and he's written an opera that is very mythological. It's very philosophically oriented. It deals with transformation, the art form of music, all sorts of great themes. And he's so convinced of what good music is, and he's so convinced of his expertise at his young age, and he talks about it in a very allegorical way. And it turns out that that's not the only entertainment the wealthy man is offering his guest. He's also offering them a troupe of Commedia dell'arte players who's going to come in and do a comedy. When you look at the different theater genres, Commedia dell'arte, vaudeville, British music hall, and modern-day drag kings, there's a running through line for sure. They're all highly theatrical. Improv is a big factor in all of them. And zaniness. You didn't know what you were going to see because they were keep trying to outdo each other. And when you go to a drag show, you don't really know what they're going to perform and what they're going to do. So there's always that element of surprise. You know you're going to laugh. You know you're going to have fun. And you're going to be entertained. However, the passion and the confusion and the chaos is often served as well by something a little bit more earthy and grounded that you can find in the mezzo-soprano voice. Well, the role of the composer can be sung by either a mezzo or a soprano. Mainly, it's in the sort of center of the voice. So if a soprano has a good lower and middle voice, she can sing it. And if a mezzo has a really good upper range, then it will work for her. One of the things that differentiates me from other drag kings is I try to modify my voice. I say, hey, how you doing? I'm Moby Dick. What's going on? You know, so I adopt a New York accent and I naturally have a little bit of a deeper resonance in my voice. So it's not a, a huge stretch. Several of the other drag king hosts also adopt a different resonance in their voices and, you know, try to go to a deeper level. As the end of the prologue approaches, in comes the major domo, and he says, my master has decreed that because time is running short, the opera will not follow the Commedia dell'arte players, and they will not follow the opera. Instead, these two pieces will be done simultaneously. And obviously the composer is frantic. It's such an affront to everything he holds dear in his life. This catastrophe of having to actually perform his brilliant genius opera alongside essentially vaudeville, very body performers. The head of the Commedia dell'arte players 
is a very beautiful, very flirtatious woman named Zerbinetta. Zerbinetta is, you know, this super sexy, young, but seasoned, glamazon person that comes into his life. She strikes up a conversation with the composer, and they're fighting, and he's trying to defend his territory, and she's saying, honey, you don't know what you're talking about. And at one point, he finally, I think, picks his head up out of his score and looks at her in the eyes. And his entire world view shifts. The ground under his feet opens up and he is no longer standing in the same place that he has been standing for his whole life. And of course, it happens in a flash, as it often does in our life. I spent the summer of 1995 in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I I thought, oh, I can't spend another hot, sweaty summer in New York City. And got a a waitressing job and was just hanging out and met a bunch of performers who were also from New York City. Drag queens, sketch comedy artists, and two drag kings. And I thought, wow, I've never heard of this. Oh my gosh, I got to try this. So when I got back to New York, I got my hair cut, saved the clippings, went to a local thrift store, found a shirt that said Dick on it, and I went, huh, Moby Dick, perfect, and wore baggy pants and put facial hair on me. I stuffed a pair of socks in my panties, walked down the street. In the East Village, there were a bunch of guys that were on the corner, and I thought, uh-oh. And sure enough, I walked by these guys, and they said, hey. And I went, Hey. And turned the corner. I went, oh, my God, I passed. Wow. I didn't get harassed. I didn't get catcalled. I can't believe this. There was this feeling of safety that overcame me that I went, wow, I can be free in the streets. I don't have to be on guard. And I thought, oh, there's something to this. And all of a sudden, the composer comes out and he says, oh, I see everything with new eyes now. It's this pivotal moment. It's a juncture in his life that there is a real delineation between before and after. And he says it so beautifully that I now I, I see this, everything is, is with a different view. Now I have more understanding. And immediately you know that he's going to write music differently. you know that he's not going to be the same composer. When I first became a drag king, it opened up my world because instead of being an angry woman, I became a funny man. That's always been my motto. So Moby Dick is, you know, fast-talking, tough-talking, outspoken. And so I could make these political statements in this comedic way by usurping male privilege and power. And... So it it was great fun. So the composer sees the world as this totally new place. It's gorgeous. Everything is beautiful. The world is wonderful. And I'm ready to charge into it. I need a bed, sir. I need a bed. 
The aria begins with the composer saying that now he sees everything through very different eyes. Well, Serbinet has opened his eyes to a world he didn't know existed. And he goes on to say that there's so much more to the world that can't be put into words. The depths of existence are just absolutely immeasurable. So one, two, sein wir wieder gut. And gut is the downbeat of this new bar. And it's very concrete, and it's very clear, and it's sort of immovable. It's like the scaffolding, and we arrive there. And what that does is to give a sense of impetus to the music, a wonderful sense of forward motion. But he can't quite resolve just yet because he has so much still to express. So it's all of this expansion and twisting of the, the rhythm so that we get an aching, a euphoria, a sense that we don't, we don't want the phrase to end. Sing through the bar line, go over the bar line. It's where the rainbow arches. It's the peak of the taffy pole. And it's where we, mm, we expand. There's so many rules for men and women. And the great thing about drag, you just break it all down and you realize it doesn't matter. All these rules don't make sense. Just putting people in their boxes, in their places, women in their homes, in their cages, doesn't make sense. When I can tear down the binary, there's something that happens that I feel complete. And I feel like all the nooks and crannies and gender in, in me, I get to explore and experience. I take up that space and I allow myself this permission to experience whatever I want. And I go there. The composer feels like he's unlocked the key to everything. All the interaction with Serbinetta, all of the lightning bolts that have gone off, he now feels like he really understands women <laughs> and himself. He's just said that poets use very good words, but but somehow, somehow, and he's searching in this syncopation, jedoch. And he repeats that, jedoch, and yet. And it gains steam, jedoch, jedoch. He's just about to explode. Downbeat high note. Mut ist in mir. Courage is within me. It becomes something that connects at an indescribable heart level. I love looking at the Latin derivatives of words, and courage comes from cur, heart. And when you tap into that courage, you're tapping into your heart's desires to speak your mind, to express yourself, to not have those barriers. 
And the courage that by me expressing myself in this confident, strong way, it opened doors for other women. Then he says this amazing line, Die Welt ist lieblich und nicht fürchterlich demutigen. The world is lovely. And on this word, world, die Welt, he takes us up to our first B-flat. Lieblich, that is beautiful. The world is beautiful. But he's stretching our range, and, and he's giving more and more opportunity to express and to break out of the confines of this sort of nerdy uh, composer that has always had his head in a book. He's now breaking out into the world. The physical transformation is when the character development really starts. First, it's the facial hair. I had somebody make me a lace front goatee mustache and sideburns so they're very easy to put on and off and you know contouring filling out my eyebrows and I wear wigs in a variety of colors I like to have fun and drag it up a little bit I have purple a blue burgundy and big blonde bouffants the tip of the iceberg though is the breast binding that's when it seals the deal there's something that happens. That's the wall of protection. Then men aren't looking at my breasts. They're looking at me in my eyes and in my face. And I add an appendage. And I've come to realize how men have so much energy on their genitals. You can't help it. You got it on the outside. It's hanging out on the outside. And, you know, so now I can understand. Um, but then the the clothing, I wear pants that are size larger to minimize my curves. And I put in also a gold tooth that I had made in Brooklyn, you know, that just kind of sets me off into a more of a punk rock, rockabilly rebel aesthetic and more edgy looking. That's the the look and the feel of it. And then I think about my dad, and then the confidence starts. As the aria goes on, and he's started to realize that the world is beautiful, everything, I have all of this power, this courage inside of me, all of a sudden he's caught with this idea of, what then is, is music? And here we have a slowdown, and it comes more internal. It's almost prayer-like, actually. The music changes key, and Strauss marks it to be played pianissimo. And as he repeats this word, Musik ist eine heilige Kunst, the tonality changes, the meter changes, the sensation changes, and it's as if for the first time he actually knows how to articulate what he's eaten, slept, bathed, thought. His whole life has been music, but for the first time, he actually understands what it is. And it's a heilige Kunst, 
the holiest among all art forms. The notes get held longer and longer, and it keeps going up, stair step, which is thrilling. Suddenly, Zerbinetta gives this wild whistle, and she and all of her Commedia dell'arte players come charging through where the composer is and go running up on stage, and he suddenly sees, oh my God, those are the people who are going to be involved with my opera. And his emotion goes plummeting from being way at this ecstatic moment. He's in the depths of despair. But he's a teenager, <laughs> and that's what teenagers do. It's short, but it's mighty, this aria. It's like being shot out of a cannon. And he shoots us right back into the action. And the composer is completely taken out of this moment of euphoria and realization, as happens in life all the time. You know, we may have a huge success and the show, and we're high as a kite, and then we come and we see a text on our phone after, and it slams us right back into the real world. You are catapulted into the heights of the highest highs and thrust down right into a fiery, dark alley that feels like it has no outlet. <laughs> and that's how the prelude ends. One of the reasons I love Ariadne so much is the incredible variety of emotion and therefore the incredible variety of kinds of music we have all in this one little opera. It runs the big gamut and it's so clear, it's so delicate, and yet at the end it's so profoundly moving. So when you're dressed in male drag, you're taking on a character. You're transforming yourself. You're becoming something different than what you normally are and how you normally express yourself. And then the audience starts to believe you. And then they start to have this shift in perspective and they start to have their own experience because you've broken down these walls, then they get to open their minds and their hearts in this new way, and then maybe re-experience something or experience something new. And that can remind us of what passion is and, and where that abandon lies. Because so much of I think the temptation as we go into adult life and the world sort of beats us down and there's a kind of hardness that can come into our lives as we get older. And I think it's the gift of our lives to be able to go and experience a story again and be reminded and have those ideas of, well, I don't know, maybe there is hope. And so I think it's really one of the most valuable parts of of theater and performance is that we're reminded that we can, if we choose, remain really young at heart. Mezzo-soprano Joyce DiDonato, writer Paul Thomason, and drag king Moby Dick. Decoding the composer's aria from Ariadne off Naxos by Richard Strauss. Joyce will be back to sing it for you after the break. 
Have you ever had an encounter with someone that left you feeling a little braver? I remember getting in a car and just driving, and it was just for curiosity's sake. That freedom led to, like, a lot of rediscoveries. Just for life, things became colorful again. Join me, Helga Davis, for conversations with artists and thinkers who share my passion for living fearlessly. It's a new season of Helga. Listen wherever you get podcasts. The composer has just fallen in love for the first time, and it changes the way he feels about everything, even music. Here's mezzo-soprano Joyce DiDonato on stage at the Metropolitan Opera.
Hearing Joyce DiDonato sing Sein wir wieder gut from Ariadne auf Naxos is just about as exciting as falling in love for the first time and just as gorgeous. Well, we've been talking about transformation, so we decided to put our money where our mouth is and do a little something different next time. Instead of decoding an aria, we're going to do a deep dive into one of the most famous opera choruses, Ba Pensiero, from Verdi's Nabucco. Aria Code is a co-production of WQXR and the Metropolitan Opera. The show is produced and scored by Marin Lazian. Max Fine is our assistant producer, Helena de Groot is our editor, and Matt Abramovitz is our executive producer. Mixing and sound design by Matt Boynton and Anya Jeshik from Ultraviolet Audio, and original music by Hannes Brown. This project is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, on the web at arts.gov. Are you enjoying the show? I hope so. Let us know about it by leaving a rating or a review. We love reading them, and they really help people find us. So thanks in advance. I'm Rhiannon Giddens. See you next time. I want to clarify the spelling of that M-O-B period, D-I-C-K. No copyright infringement there.